Good morning. Our reading today will come from Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Before I read the scripture, I, I want to ask you for your prayers for a few things. Uh, one is, very dear woman, Jan McCluggage, a member of our church here for a few years, and just a special person. She actually attended worship twice on a weekend. Uh, she said she wanted to hear the sermon twice. I wondered why. Is it because it was not clear or because she enjoyed it? Doing penance? I don't know. But Jan was just a wonderful, wonderful person, and she passed away over the weekend. And we're going to be celebrating her life probably on Wednesday. And her son, Matthew, is here, and his wife, Natalie, and their two daughters are here. Raise your hand, Matthew. And we want to keep them in our prayers this morning. On a celebratory note, I would ask that we um, just give thanks to God for Daryl and Rilda. Raise your hand. You didn't know I was going to call on you, did you? How long have you been married? 50 years, 50 years celebration, so it's wonderful. And uh, Fred Ballard lost his dad this week, and Fred's been in the hospital, so Fred, we're glad to see you back in worship with us this morning. Another thing I would pray about this morning is that Twin Pines Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, I spent the whole weekend with them working with a team of their leaders, their senior ministers on sabbatical, and spent the weekend working with them, talking to them about their future and the hope, and they've been working through some struggles, and it was great to be with them and just to share some energy with them, and I felt like we kind of had a breakthrough uh, over the weekend. They've been feeling pretty overwhelmed by some things, and we spent the weekend working through Paul's letter to the Philippians, of all things. I told them that the place for renewal begins not in a program, not in a strategy, not in an idea, but in a relationship with Christ. That the spiritual life of an individual, the spiritual life of a congregation, the renewal of its mission in the city begins when God's people invite Christ in and he lights a fire in our hearts and it overflows into the world around us. And they've been having trouble getting people to invite people to worship with them. And I said, if you will invite Christ in, they will start inviting people in because they'll want to share it. So we're going to pray for them too. So let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you today for the life of our friend Jan McCluggage and pray for her family. I do want to pray for Fred and for Tim and the loss of Fred's father. I want to celebrate 50 years of marriage today with Daryl and Rilda. What a wonderful joy for them and for their family. We celebrate with them today. And then I want to pray for the friends that we have at Twin Pines Christian Church. Strengthen our hearts today to this message that you will give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read this, I want to give you a little context. When we read the Bible and we read a letter from Paul, we think it's a letter written to us. Because we have our own Bible and we pick it up and often we read it at home by ourselves in our room. And it's like Paul is speaking directly to us. But we forget that when Paul wrote this letter, no one had copies of it, and we forget where it was read. It was not read in the privacy of someone's home, it was read in the context of Christian communities. So when Paul wrote this letter, he was not writing it to individuals. He was writing to a church family. 
And so the first time this letter was read, and, and as it was read again and again, it would be people just like us sitting in a context of worship, hearing this letter written to God's people. In this letter, what he's doing is he's writing to leaders, and he's trying to encourage them. They are perhaps discouraged. They're facing overwhelming odds. They, they are in a large city, a very small community, and they are called upon to bring the good news to a non-Christian community. And so he's writing them to remind them of their mission and to remind them to say, hey, we're in this struggle together. We get to do this together. And this little church that he was writing to um, was a community made up of all kinds of people. So that's the context, and this is what Paul says to this church. He says, above all things, never forget, all of you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. What a great word for the world we live in today. A world polarized and torn apart by division and strife. And Paul is saying to them, never underestimate what you can do when you work together. That when people get together and do something together, we can do more together than we could ever do alone. And he's calling them to lay aside differences and to work together for his purpose. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And then he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have not been given only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of trusting for him. And then he says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. We are in this struggle together. This is the reading of the Word of God, and God's people did say, So, do you remember what happened on July 20th, 1969? I was eight years old. July 20th, 1969, uh, the eagle has landed was the words that we heard. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed uh, Apollo 11 landed on the lunar surface. Six minutes later, on the very next day, on July 21st, 1969, Neil Armstrong took a step on the moon and achieved something no one dreamed possible beyond her imagination. Twenty minutes later then, uh, Buzz Aldrin stepped out on the moon and they made human history. Now today when we think about that event, when we think about the lunar landing, and we think about the mission of the Apollo 11, who do we think about? We think about Buzz Aldrin, and we think about Neil Armstrong. But we don't forget that they were not the only ones involved, that what it took to put two men on the moon was a whole nation of people united for a common purpose to do something remarkable. It's one moment in American history when everybody came together with a common solitary focus to work together, to stand together, to achieve something great. 
And we forget that there were more than 400,000 people who were involved who can take credit for this event, including the seamstress who sewed 11 types of fabric inside of each of their spacesuits, including the scientists and the technicians and the custodians and all the other contractors around the United States who had to build things they'd never built before. So when Belay landed on the moon and he took that first step on the moon, there were 400,000 people who got to be a part of making that happen. Jack Kennedy, before uh, this took place, was walking through NASA. He saw a custodian working with a mop, mopping the floor at NASA. And he looked at him and he said, you do a good job, what are you doing? And he says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. You see, it takes great teams working together to do great things. That's the lesson of the story, is that we can accomplish so much more together than we can on our own. Do you remember what happened uh, during the winter of 1980? In the winter in Lake Placid of 1980, it was the, the Olympic Games, the Winter Olympic Games, and the United States won 12 gold medals. It was a record for the United States. Eric Hyden won five gold medals in speed skating. But nobody really remembers those other achievements. What do they remember? They remember the miracle on ice. When the underdog, uh, less than United States hockey team, made up of amateurs and college students, defeated the veterans of the Soviet Union who had won four previous gold medals and four consecutive Olympics. When they arrived at the Olympic Games, they were the seventh seed, and no one expected them to get past the first few rounds. But here suddenly they won game after game, hockey game after hockey game, and suddenly found themselves on the world stage facing the greatest hockey team, maybe perhaps in human history. Previously, they had lost in an exhibition to the Soviets 10 to 1. But on this night, a team of amateurs working together accomplished the unbelievable, what they could not do alone, and defeated a team made of all-stars and veterans by winning 4-3 to three and held up the gold medal. The coach of the team was Herb Brooks, and prior to uh, the match, he was in the locker room with the men, and this is what he said to them, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight, one game. If we played them ten times, we'd lose nine. But not this game, not tonight. Tonight we skate with them, tonight we stay with them, and we shut them down because we can. Tonight we're the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players, every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. This is your time. It's done. It's over. And I'm sick and tired of hearing about how great the Soviet team is. This is your time. Now go out and take it. And they did. Again, the same lesson here. The lesson is that we can do so much more together when we work together, when we work with one purpose, when we work in harmony, when everybody brings their gifts and skills together to accomplish something great in the world. Now, this doesn't compare in any way to a moon landing doesn't compare any way to winning a gold medal. But some might think me using a hammer to build anything is something notable. 
I am not handy. I cannot build anything. I have no skill with tools. My mom called me and said, the fence your father built is falling down. I've shared this story before. And she, she lives on a fixed income, and so she said, I can't afford to build a new fence. What am I going to do? And now that I think about me building this fence, I think about my dad, my dad who built the previous fence. I'm convinced that my father, for every post he put in the ground, he put in three bags of cement. Because he knew that one day when he was in heaven, his son would have to come up and have to pull every one of those posts out of the ground. It took us more time to tear the fence down than it did to build it. So when my mom said that she needed a new fence, I told her, I will build it and I will come. And so I went down uh, in 2016 during the summer and I did what I knew best to do to build a fence. I called my friend Jeff Howe, my college roommate, and said, would you come help me? And Jeff took a week off from work, and we had a ball building this fence. No way I could have accomplished on my own. And with an hour before I was supposed to leave, so I could be back here to preach on Sunday morning, an hour before we were supposed to leave, we finished the fence, and Jeff and I went to the back of the fence, and we wrote, we wrote in honor of Pop, my dad, 6416, David Emery, and Jeff Howe moment I'll never forget because, you know, together we can accomplish so much more together than we can on our own. And so that's what Paul, Paul was doing. He was writing this letter. He was giving them a speech. He was saying, don't look at the world around you. I know you feel overwhelmed. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the obstacles in the world that we're facing. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the talents and the skills of your opponents. This is your time. This is your moment. This is your day. You have been called together to do something great for me and the world. And so he was writing to a group of leaders to get them to focus on the opportunities and not the obstacles. To put a gate where a fence has been built. To put a bridge in an impassable situation. And so as Paul writes to these Christians in Philippi, he first of all says to them, he gives them five challenges to work together. Paul's team challenge was don't forget your mission. That was the first thing he told them. You look in the beginning of the letter, it says, he says to them, remember you are... You were citizens of heaven. Remember, you're on a mission. That God didn't just call you to be in a building, didn't just call you to meet together and to pray together. He called you to do something in the world. Remember who you are. Remember your mission. St. Paul's Cathedral in London was built by the great architect Sir Christopher Wren. He's buried there in the bottom of the great church. If you go there today and you look at the, it's a beautiful sanctuary. You look at the sanctuary, it has beautiful stained glass. But Christopher Wren did not want stained glass in his sanctuary in his basilica. He insisted that there be clear glass. And the reason was he wanted the congregation to be meeting, be meeting inside of St. Paul's in London to understand that their mission was not a building, but their mission was the world beyond. He wanted them to see what was outside the walls of their church to understand where their purpose was, was what it, they were for, and who they were. It was only after his death and against his will that they established and put in stained glass windows. Paul's reminding them, 
writing them to remind them, you're not just to gather together in small communities, but you gather together for inspiration, for hope, for training, for your mission. And so the second thing he said to them, give it your very best effort. You're on a mission. Give it your best. That's what he means when he says to them, above all things, above everything you do, live a life worthy of your calling of the gospel. Uh, that's the word, the word in Greek there for worthy is the word that is called axios. Axis. The idea is like a scale. You know, a scale where you put something on and you balance it to weigh it. He's saying that here is Christ and what he did for us. Here we are. May your effort balance what he has done. Would you put in equal effort to his work in your life? And then the third thing he said to, get, to them was to work together work together as a team. Sometimes we get confused about what this means. To be on the same team, we don't have to believe the same thing. Uh, to be on the same team and to have the same mind and same heart, same purpose, doesn't mean we have to have the same viewpoints on the world around us or the same understanding about how to solve social problems. It's not trying to get people to line up in their political affiliations or in their interpretation of Scripture. Because the reality is we're always going to have different points of view. And in fact, this early Christian community was very, very uh, different. They were a very, very diverse group of people. And if we wait to get everybody together who all believe the same things and think oh, we'll never be able to get anything done because it will never happen, put ten people in the room to read the Bible and we'll end up ten different interpretations. So he says when he says stay together and fight together of one mind and purpose, what is he talking about? He's not talking about beliefs. He's talking about actions. He's talking about living the teachings of Jesus. He's talking about focusing on the message of Jesus. He's about focusing on the one thing we all hold in common. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for all people. When we walk into the sanctuary, and we walk in here every Sunday, we walk across a, a cross laid in the floor that says that this church has been built on our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. It is that confession of faith in Christ that makes us unique. Without the confession of faith in Christ, there's nothing unique about us. We might as well just call us the United Way, put a thermometer out front, or call us the YMCA, or any other human organization. But what we have uniquely to offer the world is a Savior in Jesus Christ who gives the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, and a hope and a message and a purpose in the world. That's our focus, the focus of our mission. And we work together to do that, we can accomplish great things. And then he said, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. It's pretty be easy to be intimidated. I, I look at the text and I don't understand myself to have an enemy, but we do see obstacles. It does seem that the church is having less and less influence in the world. We're all walking around every week, it seems like, shaking our head at how people can't get along with one another and how we as Americans ourselves seem to be very divided about all kinds of things and can't seem to agree about anything, how people can look at one thing and have completely different opinions. It's very intimidating, very intimidating to be in the church in the world today when we see an overall decline in church attendance across the world, across the United States, everywhere. It's easy. I was speaking to this church this weekend, and they're very overwhelmed and, about their church and about the future of their church and I asked him, I said, let me, let me tell you a story. I said, do you remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus was, 
was on a mountainside and he was teaching people. Do you remember what happened? They said, yeah, a bunch of people showed up. That's right, 5,000 people showed up on the hillside because they were hungry. And I said, if we offer what people are looking for, if we offer them the word of God, if we offer them Jesus, they will come. It's what they were looking for. It's the answer to your soul. It's the answer to my soul. It's the answer to the emptiness. If we just fill our, I told them, I said, don't worry about a program. Don't worry about a strategy to grow your church. Get Christ. It all starts with Christ in your life. Invite Christ into your life and allow it to overflow in love and joy and people will come. And you don't even have to put a sign in front of the building. You don't have to have a sign. Because when people see it in you, you're, I said, you're the best sign. When you're overflowing, I said, don't be intimidated. And I said, what did Jesus tell them to do? Jesus said, feed them. And I said, what did they say? They said, we can't do it. We don't have enough. And then Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, well, we have five loaves, two fish. And then Jesus took it, blessed it, multiplied it, and there was enough for everyone, enough left over. The point is easy to notice, I said to them, don't worry about what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Because when people come together and offer their gifts together, we can do great things together because he takes what you give and what I give and my talent and your talent from the mopping of the floor to the sewing of the spacesuit to do something great together in the world. And this last thing is he says, don't forget it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be involved in what God is doing in the world. You know, what a privilege it is for me. You know, recently I sat on the front pew of this sanctuary on a Sunday afternoon with a, uh, an individual who's been attending our church. And he is really new to Christianity. And he looked at me and he said, I just know I need something. And he says, I keep trying to do the right things, but I can't seem to do it. And I said, so quit worrying on what you're doing and focus on who wants to be in your life. And I told him how to invite Christ into his life. And it took me back to that own moment in my life where I invited Christ in my life and how it blessed me and touched me. And it was so beautiful to see him just welcome Christ into his life and to see, have a front row seat, to see a man's heart opened, his life opened, his life improved, and to see wonderful things happen for him. I do believe that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus loves everyone, and he wants good things for all people. And what a privilege it is to be a part of sharing that abundance of love and life with people in the world. It's who we are and what we're about. And so what Paul is saying is that when we do it together, we can do so much together with friends gathering together to do that work. Have you ever heard of Charles Plum? Charles Plum was a Navy uh, veteran. He was a Vietnam War pilot. Charles Plum flew, flew 75 missions over Vietnam off an aircraft carrier. On his 75th mission, Charles Plum, his plane was hit by a laser rocket, and the plane went down, and he had to eject from his plane. His life was saved by the parachute he carried on his back, and he was held as a prisoner of war for many, many years before he was released. One day he was out in public, he was sitting in a restaurant, he was having a meal, and a man walked up to him and said, you're Charles Plum, you're a Navy veteran, you're a war hero, you were a prisoner of war, I know you, you're Charles Plum. 
Charles Plum looked at him and says, how do you know me? How do you recognize me? How do you know my name? And he looked at Charles and said, well, I'm the one that packed your parachute. Plum said it was a, it was a game-changing moment for him. He, he said at that moment he realized that, that he didn't realize how many people had participated in the work that he did. He just saw himself as the pilot, the hero, the, the one flying the plane. He forgot that there were the people who cleaned the deck of the ship, that there were those who put the fuel in the plane, those who repaired the plane, uh, those who took care of his uniform, those who steered the ship, and those who packed his parachute. He said, I wish now I could have gone back and remembered that I was just a part of something bigger than me. I was a part of all of it and how we all were doing something great together. And I wish I could have gone back before now and thanked the man that packed my chute. I love that. I thought about that. I thought about all the people in my life that I've been a part of, how we get to do this great thing together, and then I'm able to stand and preach and share with you. But I'm not just me. I'm not just a project of my own making. I'm a project of all the people who have fueled my plane and packed my chute, made me think of my Sunday school teacher, Wanda Combs, who taught me in Sunday school how to read the Bible, made me think of a college professor who believed in me and saw something in me that others didn't. Made me think of my mom and dad, the people that packed my chute. What about you? Who in your life has packed your chute? Who are the friends that have come along with you to help you become the person that you are today to do what you're called to do? And, and then I thought about our church. I thought to myself, so who am I in this story? This is the break. To, am, am I the Navy pilot that soars out every weekend and goes on mission for Christ in the world. Then I realized, no, no, I'm not. I never leave the deck of the aircraft carrier. I'm always at the base. You see, I never leave this building hardly. I'm always here. And then it dawned on me who the true, true pilots are that go on mission. Because on Monday morning, you will take off Monday morning on your mission. You will take off on your mission and you'll go to UPS where you work. You'll take off on your mission to the hospital where you care for the sick and for the dying. You'll take off on your mission to where you go and sit in an office and listen to broken hearts as a therapist. You'll take off on your mission when you go to teach school and to care for kids. You'll take off on your mission where you go to serve in some way. You'll take off on your mission where you go to be a soccer coach. You'll take off on your mission when you go to be in law enforcement. You'll take off on your mission when you go to be a good neighbor who helps a friend. Every Monday morning, you leave the ship behind for the world for your mission. And then I realized something. My job is to pack your chute. My job is to fuel your plane. And my job is to help you to remember that we're all in this together.